Luke in chapter 16, Jesus speaking, now he also said to the disciples, there was a certain rich man who had a steward and was accused, an accusation was brought to him that this was the man that was wasting his goods. So he called him and he said to him, what is this I hear about you? Give an account of your stewardship for you can no longer be steward. Then the steward said within himself, what shall I do? For my master is taking the stewardship away from me. I cannot dig and I am ashamed to beg. Now, uh, as reading this, in one other translation, it says this, um, for my master is taking the stewardship away. I cannot dig for my hands are too soft. And I thought that was pretty cool. Like, this guy's a wuss. Anyway, I cannot dig, for my hands are too soft, and I am too ashamed to beg. Therefore, I have resolved what to do, that when I am put out of the stewardship, that they may receive me into their house. So he called every one of the master's debtors to him, and he said to the first, How much do you owe my master? And he said, One hundred measures of oil. So he said to him, Quick, take your bill, sit down quickly, and write 50. And he said to another, how much do you owe? And he said, 100 measures of wheat. And he said to him, take your bill and write down 80, which if I was this guy, I was like, wait a minute, you just told him 50. Why me 80? But that's what he said. And so the master commended the unjust steward because he had dealt shrewdly. And that's right. We read this right. The master commended the unjust steward because he had dealt shrewdly. For the sons of this world are more shrewd in their, in their generation than the sons of light. And I say to you, make friends for yourselves by unrighteous mammon. That's such a weird word, mammon. Say that fast four times. And when you yourselves fall, they may receive you into an everlasting home. He who is faithful in what is least is faithful also in much. And he who is unjust in what is least is unjust also in much. Therefore, if you have not been faithful in the unrighteous mammon, the true riches, and if you have not been faithful in what is another man's, who will give you what is your own? No servant can serve two masters, for either he will hate one and will love the other, or else he will be loyal to one and despise the other. You cannot serve God and mammon. Now the Pharisees, who were lovers of money, also heard all these things, and they despised him for it. So here we have this parable in which Jesus is speaking. And now, if you were to look up Luke 16, and you were to start to read all different types of commentaries on what people think about this chapter and this story that Jesus is telling, this would be one of the most debated stories uh, that Jesus is told where people are giving all different types of interpretations on exactly what they think Jesus is saying in this scripture because he's telling this story and all of a sudden in verse 8 he does something that is completely different from what we would ex expect. There is this wicked servant, there is this wasteful servant and then all of a sudden Jesus tells a story in which the master of the house commends him for his wickedness. And so which we read it, and there's a part of us that's like, wait a second, there, 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 there must be something wrong in translation here, that something's going on, because this goes against all of the morality that we know within the teachings of Christ, within the overall view of what 
Jesus is, what he's done, and how he lives his life goes completely against the story that he's telling. So if we were listening to this story for the very first time, and I was to come in here and I was to tell you the story of this, this unjust steward and the master of the house, and then the master of the house commends him for what he's doing, which is obviously wrong, we would all kind of be like, Lucas, that is totally against Scripture. That is definitely not within line within the teachings of Christ. But here we have Christ giving this teaching. So we're kind of like, wait a minute, Jesus said it. So it doesn't line up with everything else we know about the morality of living like Christ. What is really being sent here? Why the commendation to this wasteful servant? And so uh, this morning I would like to give you Uh, interpretation of the scripture, and I want you to really feel the freedom to disagree with me. Um, You can take what I'm going to give you this morning, and I'm going to ask you to go home, read the scriptures for yourself, and see, is this kind of connecting with the overall view of the New Testament, of the teachings of Christ, and what is being told within the story. And so don't just take my word from it, but go home and study it. So first thing that we do when we come across this story that we don't quite understand, that doesn't seem to line up with the morality of Jesus' teachings, is first look at who Jesus is speaking to. He is speaking to his disciples. He's not talking to the crazy person out there. He's not talking to the Pharisees. He's not talking to uh, the sinners. He is talking to the disciples, the ones that are following him. Now, there's a wide variety of people that are listening in and, and hearing the conversation and listening to the story of Jesus, but his main audience is his disciples. And he said to his disciples, this is the audience in which he was speaking. So to be a disciple in the first century, was no small thing. See, we say the word disciple now, and it's just kind of a common phrase that we use in everyday language. But to be a disciple in the first century meant this. That means you were following underneath the teachings of a rabbi. And if a rabbi was teaching you and you were his disciple, this was a very, very big deal. You see, rabbis were kind of like the superstars of the day. There was no cable television. There was no ESPN. So whenever a rabbi came into town, he came in, and he came in with his teachings. People would gather, and they would listen, and you wanted to be a disciple of this rabbi. You wanted to be underneath his teaching, and you were not just learning from him, but you were learning to be like him. You were learning to be like your rabbi. And so this is the kind of uh, people that God, God's speaking to. He's speaking to these disciples that now it's just such an honor to be following him. Because to be a disciple in those days was all based on merit. See, their school system and the way that they uh, came about to be underneath the rabbi was all based on merit. If you performed better... Then one of the rabbis would come down and they would say, you know what, now you can be my disciple. You can now follow me and learn from me, learn all of my teachings, and then you could go and take my teachings because you will then therefore bear your rabbi's name. 
you would come right underneath him and all everything that he was pouring into you, you would just kind of be just like him. So the rabbis would go to these towns, they would go and they would want to pick the best of the best. They would want to pick the smartest kid in the school. They would want to know that, hey, the person that's going to be my disciple, I know is going to be able to carry my name the best. And so when Jesus comes into town, who does Jesus pick to be his disciples? He goes out and he picks fishermen and he picks tax collectors and he picks all of the ones that all of the other rabbis have rejected. All of the ones that said, you know what, you're not good enough. And Jesus comes into town and Jesus says, you are good enough. You can be like me. You can be like rabbi. Jesus, which means teacher, you could be like your teacher. And so these that are now following him are this kind of rejection from society that Jesus has brought, brought to him, and he begins to tell them these stories, and they're learning, and they're listening to him. But there's a problem. Here in first century Jerusalem, corruption has infiltrated. Infiltrated what, what as we would kind of call the church, as they would have their temple and their way of learning, how they would go uh, on their Sabbath, how they would learn from their rabbis, how they would learn from their teachers, how they would learn from the scriptures. There was a certain corruption that had taken place. And the teachers of the law had began to take all of the scriptures and twist them for their own benefit. And Jesus warns us time and time again uh, in Matthew and Luke and all these scriptures of be careful of those that are supposed to be teachers of the law for their taking and their and their squ- their, their their taking and twisting it for their own benefit. Now, there's a, a a famous ancient story that takes place at this time in first century Jerusalem. And the story goes like this. There are these two rabbis that are walking down this road. Now they're walking down the road on the Sabbath and they are headed to uh, a certain place to study scripture. As they're walking, there is another man that comes and sees these two famous rabbis and decides, you know what, I am just going to follow closely behind them and listen to their conversation and see what I can learn from them. So he's following closely behind them on the Sabbath, and they're walking. Now remember, on the Sabbath, you can do no work. So as they're walking, they look, and he sees off into the distance that there is a priest in his field. And the priest is working, and he is plowing, and he's field. And he looks, and he turns to the rabbis and says, look, this guy, I know he's a priest. And he's looking, he's working in the field. He is doing something against the Sabbath. We need to go, and we need to tell and stop him. In which the rabbi looks to the common man and says, well, we can't do that. For he could just say that he is underneath order of his master. He could be working on the emperor's land, and he could just be doing that. So therefore, he has no choice but to plow on the Sabbath. And so they keep walking, they keep walking, and they come across another man. And this other man is pruning in his vineyard. He says, look, rabbis, look at this man too. He is also working on the Sabbath. Let's go and tell him that he has to stop. And to which the rabbis turn and look to him and say, well, he could simply say that he is taking and collecting the twigs to make a basket to use for his oil press. And so therefore he wouldn't be in violation of the Sabbath. And so they walk a few steps further. And then the common man says this. He says, And who can know the innermost thoughts of a man's heart, of whether he is twisting the scriptures or whether he is weaving 
the scriptures. And at that point, he stopped following, and they continued to walk. And the point is this. Here are the leaders of the day, and they're making these um, whatever they can to justify their actions. And, he, and the common man's looking, well, who knows a man's heart? Who knows whether you're, you're just taking the scriptures and twisting them to mean what you want them to mean, or whether or not we're weaving them in and out of what they are really supposed to mean. So there's this kind of uh, thought in the day. This, w- this would be a famous story. This would be one that people would heard, and they would look to these rabbis. They would look, and they would see the corruption. They would see that there were those that just prayed loud prayers on the street corners just to get the attention of men. They would look, and they would see all of the hypocrisy inside of what we may call the church. And so they're looking, and now Jesus is telling this story to these disciples. And this is his audience. This is what they're thinking. Now remember, when we read this parable, we're reading something that was originally told in story form. And so whenever a rabbi came from town to town, there's no printing press. Everyone didn't have a copy of the scriptures. So the main form of getting the word from town to town came in the form of storytelling. So the rabbis would come and they would tell these stories and they would teach the scriptures. And so whenever you're telling a story, there's certain things that go along with the really the art of storytelling. There's mannerisms, there's inflections of the voice, there's ups and there's downs. And, and so whenever you write it, it's a little bit different. Just like, have you ever watched the movie and read the book? There's quite a bit of difference. And so sometimes the movie is way better than the book. Sometimes the book is way better than the movie. It's like music too. Some bands are amazing on CD, and then you hear them live, and you're like, wow, you guys are terrible. You need to just stay on CD. And so Jesus is coming to town. He's tell- so remember, we're reading this, and it's in the form of a story. He is telling the story. So there's certain, there's certain things that's going on with his voice and influx, influx in his voice. And whenever the translation happens here from the original Greek into what we are reading here in the English, the original ancient Greek in which it was written was not written with uh, th- there's no punctuation. There, there's actually even no capitalization and lowercase letters. And so everything that you would read in the, as, as this person was writing the story of Jesus, he is writing in all caps all the time, which is the equivalent of we would say, man, it's just like people are yelling at us. You know? Have you ever seen that person that writes in all caps all the time? Like if you are that person, stop because it's not that important. Like just lowercase letters. It's cool. But anyway, they're writing, he, they're writing this, and remember, there's no punctuation, so there's no influx. They're just telling the story as Jesus told it. Inside of this setting of Jesus speaking to them, there was this wicked servant. There was this master, and he's beginning to tell the story in the form of a story. So this morning, I'm going to tell you a story much like the one that Jesus did. And we'll see the comparisons. So, um, this summer I've started working with my friend Jace, and he is the owner of Lola's Olas. It is a surfboarding, uh, skimming SUP. We give lessons um, 
to anybody who signs up, we have surf schools, and it's, it's a real, it's a, it's a good, it's a blast. We have a good time. And um, let's say this happens. Uh, Jace decides, you know what, Lucas, I want to make you manager of the company. Um, I'm going to be working on these other things. You are going to manage the day-to-day affairs of giving these lessons, of the books, of all the finances, all these things. You are now in charge. You are the manager. Cool. So then I take this company, and I decide, man, the company's doing well. We got it. And so I start buying things like, oh, look at this, this $25 bottle of glacier ice water. That's 1,000 years old. Mm, I'll buy that. And so I just start kind of frivolously wasting some of the things. Oh, there's a lesson it too. Psh, forget about it. And so word gets back to Jace that, hey, listen, Lucas is supposed to be manager of the business, and he is just being wasteful. So Jace comes to me and says, Lucas, what is this? Is it true? Give an account for your stewardship of the business. And I think to myself, oh, man, I'm about to get fired. Jace, it, it, it's over. He's found out. I bought the $25 bottle of glacier water. I don't know what I'm doing. And, oh, but wait a minute. These hands, <laughs> these are soft hands. I really, I, I can't, can't do manual labor. Um, but I, and I'm too proud to go out and just kind of beg for it. What am I going to do? What am I going to do? Aha, I have a plan. There's all of these people that owe Jace money. Quick, make some phone calls. Hey, man, how much do you owe for all those back lessons? 500 bucks? Oh, take your bill and write 250 bucks. Uh, next call. Hey, um, how much do you owe? Uh, you, you got those boards and what? Okay, take that and then mark that down by another 20%. So upon doing this, Jace comes in and he looks at me and he basically does this. Good job, Lucas. If you would have worked for me as hard as you're now working for yourself, you would still have a job. And that is what Jesus is saying to the wicked servant. He's saying, good job. If you would have been so busy about my kingdom and my affairs, as you are about your own self-preservation, you would still be manager of this house. So let me commend you. So remember, Jesus is telling this story, and Luke is replying with the story. And so it's almost, it's not just this likening unto some, but there's a contrast that's taking place. There's a contrast that's saying, wait a minute, this is how the world works. And, and Jesus even says, listen, the, the sons of this world are even more shrewd than the sons of light. In other words, he's saying this, you're more faithful with your business than you are with the kingdom. You are more faithful with these things that really don't matter than you are faithful with the things of God. And who can entrust you with what? With true riches. True riches. So all of these things are coming up, and Jesus is really pointing out the contrast between self-preservation and kingdom thinking. The difference between what's mine and yours, and I've got to look out for myself. And now we live into a society, much like first century Jerusalem, where there's this kind of thinking that, man, I have got to look out for myself. 
If anybody's going to take care of me, it's going to be me. So there's this kind of self-preservation thinking, and the outwork of that, we're starting to see more and more in our society. The outworking of pure self-preservation thinking is we see corruption in our politics. We see greed in our leaders. We see a factory mindset in our companies where it all becomes about profit and the bottom line and employees become just another number. And then employees become, hey, how could I do just the bare minimum and not get fired? When we begin to just seek our own agenda. Have you ever seen this, the person that just looks out for themselves? The person that all they care about is them? Man, they're some smart guys. They will do all kinds of things to make sure that they're going to be okay. We've seen this in the life of, uh, of companies. We've seen this in the life of, uh, of dear friends. We've seen this in the life of church. And Jesus is coming in and he's telling the story. He's like, listen, it's not about this self-preservation mindset. It's about you have been given stewardship over something, and if you would take care of what's another man's, man, you will be entrusted with even truer riches. But we, sometimes we like to type, mold everything down, and if we have a good mission statement, that's, that makes everything all right. And the fact is, some of, and I keep relating to, to companies because in, in this parable, he's talking uh, about the stewardship of the master's company. But in a lot of our companies, we have these mission statements that make no sense at all. And, and uh, I was looking up a few of them this past week, and the one that I thought was the most, I mean, absolutely hysterical, and it'll take you a second to catch on to, uh, well, well, maybe it will. Maybe, maybe you're a lot quicker than me. But uh, it was Chevron. Chevron, you know, big oil, gas, uh, all that stuff. And their, their, their thing is this, human energy. What? You guys don't sell bicycles or skateboards or anything that takes human energy. You sell natural gas and oil and everything that's already there. There's no human energy at all. And it's like, anyway, it just really blew me away, you know. But, oh, but we want you to think that it's all about the people. No, it's not. It's all about your bottom line and how many millions of dollars you can make. You care less about the human energy. If that was true, you would be manufacturing bicycles. Anyway, but there's this kind of thing that if we could just break this down and do the bare minimum and kind of put a cool quote on it, it'll be okay. And if we would just stop for a minute, and if we would kind of live out the teachings of Jesus, and which is really do unto others as you would have them do unto you, and we would take this type of mindset to what could I do to help you, I think we'd find that our lives would be enriched a whole lot more. When we find ourselves all about us, life gets really boring really quick. When it becomes all about me and all about this church and all about what I can do and all about how much money I can make or how many people know my name or how big I could get into society or how many ads I can get in the paper or how many likes I could get on Facebook, man, life just stinks. 
And the less and less it becomes about me, the more and more life becomes amazing. I wrote this quote. I wrote, I have never regretted doing more than I was told, but I have often regretted doing less and regretted doing just enough. See, I want to live in such a way. I want to be such a steward of what God has given me that everyone that I come in contact leaves having me bettered or enriched their life in some way. I don't want anyone to ever feel like they've given me more than I've given them. I want, it doesn't matter what, whatever, I want you to leave knowing that, man, our family is now closer together. My relationship with Jesus is now tied. I now know more about Scripture than I ever have before. Uh, man, Lucas would just give me the shirt off his back if that's what I needed. And I want you to leave. If, if I was to die today, I want to leave this legacy of, man, he gave more than he took. And I want to live that life. Just, just this morning we were talking about this missionary um, to Mexico. His name is Wayne Myers. And, and no one here really knows who he is. He's, he's in his 90s now, and he's been living this life, and he's just give and given and given away all of these years. And when we think about this man, and, and my brother this morning that was just telling me about he's like, I heard this one message, and it stuck through me with me through all these years. And, and probably 30 years later, I heard the same message, and that same message just stuck with me because his life represented one thing, and that he just lived to give. When you were in this man's presence, you left more enriched than when before you met him. Don't we all want to live that kind of life? And so when someone smacks you on the face, turn the other cheek. And when someone says, go one mile, go two. And when you're at your job and your boss is coming down hard, do even more. And these are the teachings of Jesus. And there's this stewardship involved that we are accountable for. Have we been wasting our stewardship? When we do unto others, we are living this life of Christ. But here's the question. If we were to really live without this kind of self-preservation mindset that I've got to take care of me, do we really believe that God will take care of us? That's the real question. Can we live that life? Can we live to give and believe that God is a rewarder of those? Huh? Now that's a hard question because let's just take a second and let's be honest. I mean, let's look at the scriptures. Let's look at the life of Joseph. Let's look at this guy that's, man, he's done nothing but good. And he, he, he's ended up in prison. He's been lied about. His brothers has thrown him in a pit. Let's look at the life of Paul. He's become a Christian. He's, he's penning the New Testament. He's been beaten. He's been beaten with rods. He's been stoned. He's been shipwrecked. He's been bit by snakes. I mean, come on. Let's look at Jesus. My man got crucified. Let's look at Job. <laughs> Everything's going great. All of a sudden, he lost everything. He lost his, lost his possessions, lost his kids, lost his health. Do we really believe that if we can live in such a way that God will take care of us? Hold that thought. We're going to get back there in a second.
This parable is about stewardship. This parable is about faithfulness. And it's what we do at the low levels that matter. It's what we do in the unseen, the unpraised, the ordinary daily grind is that what prepares us for what God has for us. So we love the illusion of the overnight success. There's no such thing. We like to look at the life of David and think, man, if I could be like King David. The reality of King David is he spent years and years forgotten in the field tending to sheep. And the reality is how he tended his sheep is how he tended the kingdom. And that's why God put him there. And if you can't take care of sheep, you can't take care of the kingdom. But we want the kingdom without the sheep. We want to be the American idol, and we want the rise to fame, but we don't want to pay the price it takes to get there. We want all of the benefits and nothing that it takes to get us to the place that which we can sustain when we actually get there. How we treat the sheep is how we treat the kingdom. You've got to kill the lion, and you've got to kill the bear before you kill the giant. And some of you guys think that you could kill giants, but you've yet to kill your lion. And I know that's a hard thing to hear, but that's just the reality of the scriptures. That's the reality of the life of these men and women that went through these different things to get where they got to. We love to have the end story. We love when Job receives double, but we don't want to go through what Job went through to get to what Job got. We want to run and qualify for the Olympics because we won the, we won the local 5K. It takes a little bit more than that. We like the idea of being the big fish in the small pond. The message says this. If you are not honest, the, the message version of Luke 16 says this. If you are not honest with the small jobs, how will you run the store? If you're not honest with the small jobs, how will you run? It's the small starts. It's, it's the daily routine. It's the grind. It's the stuff that people that don't see. And here's the reality. If you are not faithful now, you won't be faithful later. If you're not faithful now, you won't be faithful later. And when I begin to study Luke 16 and this in all of the commentaries that I was reading about this, this portion of Scripture and uh, what it's talking about, every one of them related the Scripture to money and how uh, this, this, this Scripture is about how this understood it and how he dealt with money. Um, I don't believe that this, this, this portion of Scripture is about money at all. I think that this is about what was done with the money. Let me say it like this. Um, the money, think of money as irrelevant. Uh, let me get it in a, I got We like to think of rich and poor. We like to think of, man, well, I have this $5, and that's all I have. And so I could hold on to this five. And the reality is that you could be poor and be way more stingier than the rich. You could be less faithful with your five dollars than the guy with five million. 
See, the amount is irrelevant because Jesus is saying, what you do with this, how can you be trusted with what true riches? This is just something else that we're dealing with, and it's revealing what, how you will act with what is really rich and what is really good in the eyes of Jesus. See, we like to relate everything to the true riches being the money. And so everyone that's writing, list, writing these commentaries that I'm reading are all talking about how, well, this means that the, the steward didn't have to pay interest on this or the way that things, and they're trying to justify the steward's action through the eyes of money. And if you look at that, who are the ones that are thinking about money in verse 14? Now, the Pharisees, who were what? Who were lovers of money, heard these things and were offended. And so when the Pharisees heard this, the only thing that they could think about is Jesus is talking about money. Jesus is saying, you're not even getting it. See, whenever you're living this life of just pure self-preservation, everything that you see is interpreted through that lens. Everything, when, when, when you live this life of, man, it, it's just hurt and angry, everyone else is hurt and angry. When, when, when it's all about you, everyone else is just out to get you. No one else is looking for you, so you've got to be on the defensive and so you take up this mind, and everything that you see is done through these eyes of this is what it must be about. So the Pharisees, the ones who are what? Lovers of money are interpreting through the scripture, through what? Through the love of money. And Jesus is saying it has nothing to do with that. It's, it's how you deal with what you have been given so you can get what I really want to give you, these true riches. You can be poor and greedy. You can be rich and generous. The amount is irrelevant. It's what we do with what we have been given. The stewardship has been entrusted to you. Your stewardship has not been entrusted to me. My stewardship has not been entrusted to you. You will not get before God and you will not give an account for the things that God has given to me. You will give an account to God for the things that God has given to you. Sons of this world, sons of light. And what he's saying here is it's a shame that the sons of this world, the ones that are out living only for themselves, are more apt, more cunning, more able to still produce these results than these over here that are supposed to be living for the kingdom. If you would live in such a way that you believed in me, that I will take care of you. All of this other will be added unto you. He who is faithful with little will be faithful with much. These disciples are following Jesus. They're hearing this message. And Jesus is getting ready to entrust with him, with them, the gospel message. He's saying it's, it's more than just these other things. It's more than these things of the world. You've been entrusted with some true riches. So if we were to go back and we were to look at these guys like Job and Paul and Joseph, and if we were able to talk to them now, and we would say, was it worth it? All of the stuff that you went through, all of the pain and all of the hurt, Man, it just seems like you kept giving and giving. It, it seems like nobody looked out for you. It seems like you kept giving to others. Was it worth it? I think very quickly, without hesitation, they would look at us and say, absolutely. It was worth every minute of it. Because now, God has entrusted us with true riches.
have you been a faithful servant or have you been a wasteful servant? See, it doesn't matter the amount in which you have been given. It matters that you be faithful with what God has given you. Let's close our eyes for a moment. Lord God, we just thank you that you would come near to us. That like those disciples, you have drawn close and you said, you can follow me. You can be just like me. Lord God, for each person in this room, for the stewardship that you've entrusted to us, for those that have been or are, are married with husband, with wife, with children, that we would be faithful in our stewardship. That we would be faithful in these true riches that we would be faithful as believers in the gospel of Jesus Christ to now go and make disciples of all nations. Lord, that we would first be Christ in our homes. That we would be Christ in our community. That we would be Christ in our workplace. Lord God, whether you've given us just a little bit whether right now it feels like we're just in a desert with a bunch of sheep and we've been forgotten, Lord God, that we would be faithful with where we are at right now. Whatever stage we're at, whether we have $5 or $5 million, Lord God, that we would be faithful with our stewardship. And Lord God, for that, that thing that's inside of us, that that self-preservation monster that just says we've got to look out for ourselves we've got to take care of number one we've 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 got to do do more to look out for us lord god just wipe that out of us lord god help us to live in such a way that we would just give more than we would ever receive lord help us at the workplace lord god that that every, every person that we come in contact with, man, that was the best bus boy I've ever seen. That was the best checkout clerk I've ever had. That was the best surf lesson I've ever gotten. That was the best salesman. That was the best truck driver I've ever met in my life. He went the extra mile. This has been a presentation of Coastal Vineyard Church, a community of faith, hope, and love. For more information on who we are and how you can support future podcasts, visit us on the web at www.coastalvineyard.org. All who are weak, all who are weary, come to the Come to the fountain